What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor Guerra. Will is going to join us to talk neighbors in figuring out, but we both had wild travel schedules, so I'm flying solo on the open today. Uh, Barrett Salee is going to join us to talk some more realignment things, then we're going to dig into some Auburn stuff and whether or not Georgia can repeat. But first, good to be back after a week in Utah. That was the longest trip I've taken since our honeymoon, which was five plus years ago. That's a crazy thought. Feeling very refreshed after a lot of time with my family in the mountains. I love deleting Twitter from my phone while I'm on vacation, but this week especially, it felt like a good time to be off of Twitter with swimming websites attempting to break news about college football realignments. Uh, it sort of prevented me from having a bunch of knee-jerk reactions to every little report about this team or that team trying to get out of a contract, move conferences. But I kind of settled on this. College football fans are in a weird sort of helpless spot right now with all of this change that's going on, which ironically enough is because of their interest and because the sport has continued to grow. They're essentially like kids who are moving with their family to a new house. We moved from Skokie to Buffalo Grove when I was six years old. And I remember, I remember being bummed out because the house that we had in Skokie had this big basement where I could play on my little tykes hoop in the winter. But when it was warm enough, I shot baskets on our regulation size hoop in the driveway, sick brag. I liked where I grew up and I had friends that I was leaving and I wasn't really thrilled to be going to a new school. I remember thinking, okay, what am I getting with this new house in Buffalo Grove? I got the last house on a dead end street, which meant we could play basketball, baseball, football out in front of our house without worrying about cars. I got a bigger backyard where I could use a construction cone as my tee and I would mimic different MLB players batting stances. I was really good at Mark McGuire despite the fact that I was a lefty. Again, sick brag. I got a neighborhood with more kids my age that I could play sports with and walk to school with. I got a bigger house and eventually I got my own room, which was extremely small, but it was still my own space. Sure, I, I still had my tough moments. I remember being terrified of going to a new school as a six-year-old. And yeah, my brother might have had to bribe me with baseball cards so that I didn't turn around and run home when we were walking to school. I also remember feeling super shy and awkward to the point where I would stay inside at recess and talk to my first grade teacher, Miss Armstrong, who had to kind of be like, hey, you know, you can go outside. Anyways, there were tough moments, but in the end, in a situation that was challenging and completely outside of my control, I ended up getting a lot of things that any kid would have wanted. My parents only made that move because of us as kids. We needed a bigger house, we needed to go to a better school, and we needed to recognize the opportunity to grow our lives and not just stay in the same place because it was comfortable. There's some adapt or die in there, but that's not really the point that I wanna drive home today. College football fans know what they're getting with their new house, which is filled with realignment, NIL, the transfer portal, uh, perhaps an extended playoff, uh, perhaps pay for play, uh, perhaps things that we haven't even thought of yet. And I, I shouldn't say they know what they're getting. They want to know what they're getting with their new house. They like the old one. Some still long for the days when you flipped on the Jefferson Pilot game, and it's far more nostalgic than flipping on ESPN and finding any and all SEC game that you wanna watch on a college football Saturday. I totally get that. Yeah, it, it was great that we had that big new driveway to play basketball with the neighborhood kids, but I remember sort of missing playing basketball on the hoop in our basement where my dad or my cousin would either, you know, they would play against us on their knees. And it was this, this fun experience that I had as part of my childhood. So as college football fans sit in the, the back seat of Greg Sankey and I guess Kevin Warren's minivan, what are they getting when they move into their new house? For starters, access is the biggest thing. 
as much as it can feel like these TV contracts are out of control, and it's weird that they're dictating everything with realignment, despite what that one random person on Twitter tried to tell you about how Pitt's record in the last five years was going to impact that, it's not. It's easy to forget how recent it was that the premier programs in college football basically played half of their schedule in this extremely regional programming. 2011 Georgia played six of its 12 regular season games on these very regional networks. My guy Candler, who was on that 2011 Georgia team, he grew up a diehard Georgia fan. I texted him and my other buddy Perry, who's also you know very much glued to the TV every game that he's not at on a college football Saturday. And I asked them, hey, when was the last time that, that, that you guys remember going to a bar to watch a Georgia game strictly because it was pay-per-view or you didn't have the channel where you were at? And Perry said the, the Kentucky game in 2009, Candler said 2002 was about the last time that that happened. But Candler also used to do that pretty often back in the day with his dad because that's just kind of what you had to do. If you didn't have that game at home, you'd go to a bar, have some wings, have, you know, if you're Candler's age, which he was what, 13 at the time or something, have, have a couple of Cokes with your dad and, and watch college football on a Saturday afternoon. That's slightly different than now, where if you're theoretically in your car, you know, maybe you're running a half hour late to watching the start of the Arkansas Ole Miss game because you're hiking with your family in Lexington and they don't fully understand the sense of urgency of a noon start. You can pull up your smartphone, you can have a live game on YouTube TV, or you can rewind or pause and watch the entire way home. That's not an ad, that's just facts. Now, we're so spoiled that when our team is on SEC Network Plus and we've got to watch the game on the ESPN app or we've got to really dig into the thousands on our Spectrum remote, we complain. That type of stuff only happens because these TV contracts have gotten to be what they are because, again, there are fans who want to consume each and every game their team plays or even other teams because they're either gambling or that's just a really fun way to spend a fall Saturday. And yeah, the TV contracts are insane. Not breaking any news by saying that. It's wild to think about how much live sports have become this incredible product wherein Vanderbilt can expect to soon get a $100 million check because they were part of the right conference. That's another part of this. If you're a fan of the team staying in the same conference, you're like the kid moving to a new house in the same neighborhood. If you're a fan of the team joining a new conference, well, you're kind of like the kid moving from Piscataway to Los Angeles. For a lot of people, the USC and UCLA moves making the least amount of geographical sense of any conference realignment move to date, maybe with the exception of West Virginia to the Big 12, something like that. That was a frustrating development. Unlike any other sport, we want our rivalries in college football to be regional. Tell me a great rivalry in college football with teams in separate regions of the country. You can't because all the great rivalries play annually, or if they don't anymore, they once did, like a Texas and Texas A&M, a Nebraska and Oklahoma, you get what I'm saying. And if you wanna tell me about how great USC Notre Dame is, tell me specifics about any non-bush-push USC Notre Dame game in the 21st century. We're still getting our regional rivalries in this new era of college football, though there will be a handful that fall by the wayside depending on how this conference schedule discussion with the SEC plays out. I do wonder if college sports fans in this new era wherein geography doesn't matter will get some fun new cross-country rivalries like we see in pro sports. Some of the great NBA rivalries that really kind of got the NBA to the level that it was at in the late 20th century, they weren't regional at all. I mean, Lakers-Celtics, Pacers Knicks, Bulls Knicks, quick book recommendation, Blood in the Garden by Chris Herring, reminded me when I uh, of a time when I truly loved the NBA, in large part because 
growing up in the, in the Chicago suburbs in the 90s uh, was you know everything a kid could have hoped for, but also we had this, this hate for the Knicks, everybody in our family. I hated John Starks with such a fiery passion. Charles Oak Broccoli, that guy was the worst. So the, those teams basically played a different sport and the regionalization of it didn't really matter. One of the things that the book got into was how after the 1994 season, the league eliminated hand checking and that hard no style that, that fueled the Knicks was essentially outlawed. And, and that team felt like it was forced to move into a new house with an emerging sinkhole. If you're a fan of a, of a team in the ACC or whatever's left of the Big 12 or the Pac-12, you're getting what exactly? You're getting screwed. I mean, that's that's really what this comes down to. You're getting screwed by the fact that there were smarter people in positions of power a decade ago outside of your conference when this stuff really started to take off. The easiest default answer for a fan of one of those schools is to say, this sport is just losing its identity. I sort of roll my eyes at that. I understand part of it, but there's a lot of it that I think depends on who you're a fan of right now. If you were a Florida State fan, just hypothetically, Florida fans don't turn this off or skip skip ahead just because I said that. But if you were a Florida State fan and you found out in the next five minutes that the Knowles were heading to the SEC, you'd be saying, smell you later, ACC. Maybe there are some USC or UCLA fans who feel like they're getting screwed simply because they're now going to have more frequent flyer miles than a flight crew based out of Hawaii. But they're the ones getting the bigger, nicer house. If you polled ACC fans and asked them about the grant of rights deal, which is just absurd, the more you kind of read about this, and it's actually kind of something that college football purists would have actually hoped for, but now looks really, really silly with revisionist history, that has them locked into this same TV contract through 2036. If you just polled ACC fans and asked them about that and said, would you throw that out the window? Throw tradition out the window. Hop on whatever money train invites you aboard. Would you do it? I, I bet they would say, yeah, yeah, sign me up. The two money trains are the Big Ten and the SEC, both of whom have already left the station. They left the station before the playoff era began. You know what fans of those teams are getting. It's more money, more potential leverage if pay for play comes about, and perhaps they're gonna have more of a fighting chance to be relevant on an annual basis than those on the outside looking in. What are fans getting from NIL? Honestly, they're getting an outlet for frustration. This is the way it works. Baker Mayfield's progressive commercials are a problem when the Browns are losing. By the way, they should totally do a commercial with him loading up an RV and moving all of his stuff out of the stadium in Cleveland and into his new one in Charlotte. Be a great idea, progressive. I've got some more thoughts on that if you wanna just you know slide into my DMs. Anyways, we saw that last year with Spencer Rattler. If you're the star who struggles in the NIL era, it's gotta be a lack of focus and too much of NIL activity on your plate. That's what it gets chalked up to. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it's going to be an automatic outlet. I really don't think that's a net positive for fans. NIL has not been that for fans so far. It has been for the players, no doubt about it. And I think those who kind of support players and want to see them you know, be able to maximize their value, I think there's a difference between saying it's a positive for them and we understand it and we accept it as opposed to saying it's actually benefiting the fans. Yeah, there are organizations like our friends over at the Players Lounge who are creating opportunities for fans to have more access to players through NIL. But I still think that for the vast majority of fans, NIL is going into the cons list when it comes to evaluating this new house. It's one thing to want players to be happy and for them to succeed, 
But for the majority of the fans, that relationship with players is a very 2D relationship. They're, they're people who exist in this world uh, on whatever sort of device that, that you consume. And you, know, you don't necessarily reap the benefits off of their NIL benefits. For a select few people with steeper pockets, maybe NIL is gonna be a loss because you feel compelled to contribute to the collectives needed to finance what it takes to maintain a roster, which is a crazy discussion in itself. Ryan Day threw out that number, $13 million everyone saw from cleveland.com and kind of reminded everyone that even maintaining the status quo from a program that in my opinion is as turnkey as it gets, that's what Ohio State is, that is still such a massive challenge in this new world that we're living in. That begs another question. Are fans actually going to see their teams get better in this new era? Very open-ended question that can be difficult to answer because if a team in the 2020s wins it all, are we just now supposed to say that it was because of NIL? Nobody said last year, oh, well, Alabama and Georgia are playing the national championship because of NIL and the way that they were able to utilize it. Obviously, their rosters were well-established before that happened, so we weren't going to default to that. But let's say A&M or Texas or Miami or USC or even Nebraska has this breakthrough season and they reach the playoff or they just become relevant on an annual basis. Are fans supposed to say, man, thank goodness NIL happened? Otherwise, we'd still be living in that old house. I don't know, but I do know that for every team that returns to power or maybe a new team that rises up, we'll all want to dissect what they did with NIL and determine how big of a part that played for them building a championship level program. In my opinion, we're still a year or two away from that because even the schools who have been really good using whatever version this is of NIL, I think it'll take a bit longer than something. And if you think USC is destined for success immediately, Oh, because of Caleb Williams, go look at the splits and see how horrendous he was against defenses who were actually worth a crap in 2021 and then talk to me. I don't think there are a ton of fan bases that feel like they're getting an upgrade with NIL. Ask Florida fans how they feel about that entire concept when they see a new five-star committing to Miami every other day. Even teams like Kentucky are feeling a bit just angsty about NIL. I was talking to my brother who listens regularly to my guys at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio, and he just listened to an interview with Stoops wherein he said he felt like the Cats weren't doing enough with NIL as a program. And I'm like, wait, really? They just signed their, their highest rated class ever. Why do they feel like they're losing with NIL? And I brought up the Oscar Sheepway point, just Kentucky as a whole. And that comment apparently stemmed from losing to Tennessee for the number four recruit from the state of Kentucky, this three-star corner, a Christian Conyer. And it gets chalked up as, well, Tennessee got him because it has the better collective. Its collective is better than Kentucky, which I've been told, you know, Kentucky has done a really nice job kind of taking care of the guys that are on the roster already, but is still trying to create a more enticing package for recruits to be able to get them there in the first place. And mind you, that's coming from Stoops, Mr. Youngstown himself. You know, he's essentially gone about this like the SEC version of his alma mater, Iowa. If you're a coach or a fan, NIL is giving you a place to direct your frustration. Coaches now have more of a reason than ever to say that they aren't getting the help that they need in recruiting because their collectives or local businesses aren't doing their part yet. And for what it's worth, I'm not saying that Stoops or anyone else is necessarily wrong for thinking that. What I am saying is that failure on all fronts is going to be handled differently. 
In some cases, it'll make a lot of sense. In others, we can just kind of roll our eyes and see right past that. Sorry, but I'm not gonna feel bad for Kansas when it loses a recruiting battle to Oklahoma, I'm just not. But with NIL, college football fans will get a new place to vent their frustrations because as we do in sports, we play the results. If the result isn't positive in this new NIL era, or if it goes downhill after it was positive in the 2010s, Surely then it's NIL and it's not because Scott Frost could be coaching the dream team and still find a way to blow a 35 point lead against the Czech Republic. Sort of an overlooked piece of this new world. That was a lot of negativity. Overlooked thing. College football fans are getting alcohol in stadiums. Not all, but many, a lot. Why and how? Think about why it would make sense to incentivize attending a college football game. In this TV rights era where you can watch all the games at home, administrators were like, oh, crap, we should probably find a way to move past this whole amateurism thing so that we can make a few million bucks off alcohol and at least attempt to save declining attendance numbers. I realize not everyone is dealing with decreased attendance numbers. Not every specific program. I know Arkansas just had a massive surge in 2021. I mean, it just means more to some than others. Okay, we know that. But college football attendance as a whole continues to drop. Throughout 2020, because of COVID, CBS Sports reported that from 2019 to 2021, there was a drop of 1,629 fans per game. That's the steepest drop ever recorded. Maybe returning to crowds with COVID played a part in that, but still, it was the seventh consecutive year with declining attendance. And FBS recorded its lowest average attendance per game since 1981, 40 years. And actually, the SEC had an average attendance decrease for the fifth consecutive year. Greg Sankey told CBS Sports that it was a captain obvious moment and that they need to rethink their approach because there's still immense value, obviously in a product's in-person viewing experience, and it can actually impact the in-home viewing experience. Don't forget about that. And if you don't necessarily think that's true and you think that these programs can just exist with empty stadiums, leave millions of dollars on the table, uh, go watch an NBA game in the bubble and then compare it to a night game in Death Valley. Yet, at the same time, what are fans getting? They're getting higher prices on tickets, higher prices on concessions, higher prices on parking. In that article from, uh, from February, that CBS Sports article, Dennis Dobbs wrote, in this age of name, image, and likeness rights, the transfer portal and court battles, this serves as a reminder that the game is not too big to fail. There seems to be two sides of the coin right now. There are fans like my buddy Drew, who said that these recent developments have really hurt his ability to enjoy the game he grew up loving. And then there are people like Barrett Lee, who we'll get to in a second here, who cite all the things that were you know, supposed to kill college football, but didn't, and that this will be no different. My question to that is, what does that place look like? Because I think two things can be true at the same time. I think fans who are worried about the future of the sport are still going to be all in from you know wherever they are, their couches, stadiums, tailgates, doesn't matter. They'll be all in on fall Saturdays, there's no doubt about it. You are way more likely to hear concern about the future of the sport in early July than you are in early October. That's just a fact. But I also think that there's a line that exists somewhere. It's a line that can be crossed, and if it's totally ignored by administrators and these decision makers, it will eventually be felt in a bigger way on those fall Saturdays. Those are sacred. 
Okay, nobody's debating that. If somebody ever asked me why football has become the most popular sport in America, I default to the fact that every game feels like an event. It doesn't have an eight month regular season with games on Tuesday and Thursday nights, although action, come on, it's great. It doesn't play a 162 game regular season. It doesn't have star players sitting out regular games for load management, whatever that is. It doesn't have a sport where music needs to be played in the background as live action is taking place. That's the weirdest thing ever. And that tells you everything you need to know about how seriously people are taking a certain event. That in itself is always going to give football, whether it be pro or college, more leeway than any other American sport right now. And for all I know, maybe the in-home viewing experience combined with the unconditional love that people feel for the universities is always going to overcome whatever tweaks are made within the basic structure of the sport and who polices it. I'm the wrong person to ask when it comes to my interest level because while this is what I love, this is also what I do to provide for my household. SEC Media Days is next week and I'm as fired up as I've ever been for the start of the season because I think the sport is really interesting no matter who's good. So again, I'm the wrong person. I thought my guy Peter Burns brought up a great point though. Between realignment, NIL, transfer portal, it feels like this is the least amount of football that's being talked about heading into a season than any I can remember. The sport has never been more year-round, which is why people say that the NFL and the NBA have always been able to remain at the forefront of the conversation. Though with both of them, I'd argue, that's it's not actual on-court or on-field things that are being discussed, and that we kind of get sick of it sometimes. That's what fans of college football are going to get moving forward. For those who just want to talk football, I'll try and do as much of that as possible. I really will. But college football fans are moving into a new house. It'll be up to them to decide if it's as good as their old one. All right, let's kick it to Barrett Slee. It's great to catch up with him, talk about the future of college football, which again, encompasses a lot of different things and whether it really is kind of at this crossroads and we're gonna talk some SEC storylines as well. So here is Barrett Slee. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is CBS Sports, it's Barrett Slee. Barrett, uh, last time we talked, we were eating ourselves into a food coma, St. Elmo's uh, shrimp cocktail sauce. I, I think it didn't suck. It didn't, man. It did, it did not suck at all. I, I was in a food coma for, I think, 24 hours after that, give or take. How about you? How long did that last? Yeah, I mean, I w- had to wake up super early to fly home from Indy. Um, I will say the... Uh, the bumpiness, the turbulence uh, in the la- uh, when I landed in Atlanta did not sit well. But see, here's the problem: it's the playoffs' fault because you know I, I don't know about you. I went to St. Elmo's like the actual restaurant, like n- with with some people, and I did not expect them to serve basically as many shrimp as we wanted in in ha- at halftime of the national title game. Had I known that, I probably wouldn't have gone to the restaurant. And had I had any modicum of self-control i wouldn't have eaten about 30 shrimp and that did not uh did not go over well yeah no amount felt like too much it was just like oh yeah it's shrimp. You can eat <laughs> it, just kept, it just kept appearing yeah yeah they they literally had an endless supply i'm convinced that day why there's an endless supply of shrimp in indianapolis is uh beyond me but uh, i wanted to talk about big big picture storyline college football right now just kind of the future of the sport in general i, I shared my piece on it in the open and, and i know where you stand with how the changes aren't necessarily going to kill the sport, which I, I think there's truth in, in both sides. And, you know, the way that everybody's kind of looking at this a little bit doom and gloom at the same time, you know, this question of, is the sport too big to fail? 
I will you at least agree that there are more moving pieces now than ever before? And this is a little bit different than what kind of offense is, go, is going to be run or what poll is going to be used to determine a national champion. Yeah, there's certainly more layers to, to everything that's going on. And, you know, I think the last round of realignment, you know, in 2012, shortly after everything sort of settled, uh, the playoff was announced. And I think that you're sort of following the same timeline uh, with the playoff contract coming up in 2025. I think, though, with everything that's gone on, uh, you know, it's you're going to get a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the things stay the same. I think with the playoff, you're going to see that contract extended for three or six years. And I think for, for realignment, yeah, there are so many moving parts because you have teams jumping for a lot of different reasons. NIL is a big part of this. Uh, it's a big part of the financial aspect. And so, you know, I think we all knew it was big business. It's been that way for a very long time. It's really been that way since the 1984 lawsuit with Oklahoma and Texas, I'm sorry, Oklahoma and Georgia. Um, but now, now that players can get paid, the, the haves and the have nots are going to separate in a very big way. And I think you're seeing a lot of jockeying to figure out really not necessarily how to get into that upper tier group, but what that upper tier group is actually going to consist of, because we don't even know that yet. So what could actually change that and maybe push that notion that the sport is too big to fail? I, I don't have a definitive answer to that. I'm wondering if you do. No, I mean, I really, I really don't either. Um, you know, I think the, any iteration of, of college football after all of this, it's still going to roughly have the same membership in the power five and the group of five. You might have some movement at the bottom or at the top of group five, whatever. Like it's going to essentially look the same. If, if it doesn't, if you do have a legit breakaway with the big 10 and the sec, then yeah, then it might be too big to fail because that would be like the big investment banks buying up, you know, subprime mortgages back in 2007, 2006, before the recession, um, because they'd have to pick up teams that really aren't going to bring them any value. Right now, the Big Ten has to have a team that brings at least $100 million worth of value. And really, the only one is Notre Dame. The SEC, if it were to expand, you know, the, the projections from a financial standpoint are kind of the same. So are you just going to pick up teams for the sake of picking up teams and create a big two? I, I think that's pretty irresponsible but people make bad decisions. And if that starts to happen, then, then yeah, I could see, you know, I could see it failing. What should be the next big domino to fall? What's the move that should have happened yesterday that just makes too much sense not to happen? The six PAC 12 teams that were mentioned uh, joining the big 12 for them to join the big 12. I think any idea that you were going to have Washington and Oregon sit around for the big 10 is just crazy because there's no way that they can stay in a Pac-12 right now and wait Notre Dame out because the Big Ten is going to wait Notre Dame out. I just don't see like the and the Big 12 to to its credit, I think is in a really good spot because if you had those six teams, the Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, I mean, it's like a giant X across the country from Washington to UCF, from the Arizona schools to Cincinnati and West Virginia. That's a very attractive conference. And I think right now, knowing how things are going on, you probably could tell the Big 12 when they renew their TV deal, hey, you know, we don't have to pay an exit fee. The entire conference doesn't have to pay as exorbitant of an exit fee as, as maybe it should, because 
you know, if, if the Big Ten wants to go poach, if the SEC wants to go poach, fine. I don't think the Big 12 has a lot to worry about, though. So, um, you know, I think those six teams making a decision should be the next step and probably will be the next step. I don't know if they're going to do it all at once or they're going to do it, in, you know, within a grand style with the Big 12. Like Andy and Staples and I joked on this uh, on, on College Sports Sunday. You just have your mark coming running out of the tunnel and introducing Kyle Whittingham, like it's a wrestling event. Um, you know, I think that would be, you know, that's a little unrealistic that all six go at the same time, but uh, you know, I think the, the general consensus out there is that Notre Dame will make a decision, but I don't think Notre Dame's in any hurry. In fact, if you saw Jack Swarbrick say th- something exactly like that last week in, in, in an ESPN article and based on what his reasons for, uh, potentially jumping, you know, the financial, that's going to drive a lot of the bus, but uh, access to the postseason was mentioned among those two. And they've got that access right now. The grant of rights, by the way, for, for those wondering kind of why didn't Bear bring up Florida State or Clemson, the grants of rights in the ACC is holding up everything. And that's why that doesn't look very imminent uh, at all to see a Clemson, to see a Florida State of Miami, a UNC, because lawyers on the back end are still trying to figure out what in the world that could potentially look like which ironically enough, the ACC is kind of doing what college, they did what college football purists wanted. They established yeah. this, this locks, you know, we're going to lock arms and we're going to, you know, be, be one and one together. And we're going to go into this next, this next era of college football as, as equals. And that's just uh, now looks really silly. It just seems like something that's super, super outdated. I think one of the, the interesting, like, indirect impacts of this entire discussion and the USC UCLA stuff is the death of the Alliance, really the, the path to playoff expansion, <laughs> the A word, the A word. Yeah. Which look, if the big 12 and PAC 12 join forces, they got to call it something different than the Alliance. We, we need a there rebranding. I'm, I'm the biggest office fan there is, but we need a rebranding <laughs> off of that. The, yep. the indirect impact of this the path for playoff expansion exists more, more so probably than before this news broke, just because we know that that's not going to be some, you know, three power five conference thing, holding it up. Do you kind of think that this also moves the sec in the direction to have the nine game conference schedule or where do you kind of stand on on that issue right now? Yeah. I've always been about the nine game conference schedule up until about two years ago when all of these home and homes, these interesting home and home uh, out of conference games started being announced. Um, you know, yeah, you could have uh, the three, six model and fine, but you'd have to eliminate a bunch of games that are already on the books. And I don't want that to happen. If you have a one seven model, yeah, you're going to lose a bunch of really good rivalries on an annual basis, but is it really that big of a deal if Georgia and Auburn have to play every other year? I mean, you're still seeing it, you know, it's fine. It's not a huge deal. So um, I think the nine game schedule is going to be accelerated. I do think it's funny, Connor, that the two conferences that were the most outspoken about not going along with the 12 team playoff proposal are the two that are in jeopardy right now because they had a golden ticket to keep their membership intact. If they, if that 12 game conference or 12 game or some, sorry, 12 team uh, playoff proposal was adopted Sure, Texas and Oklahoma might have gone, but I mean, there's plenty of access to the postseason um, in in that situation as opposed to now where, you know, if you go to four super conferences, you still might have a four-team postseason. (laughs) So, you know, I I do think that's ironic. As far as accelerating it, I think at this point when the, the proposal was shot down last year, 
going through 2025 and extending it by three or six years was probably the way that they were going to go no matter what. Now that you've got sort of all these moving pieces coming into place around the time the playoff um, contract runs out, to me, that suggests they're going to keep it at four for three years, let, let the bowl games go through one full cycle, and then beyond that, you know, sort of figure it out once the dust settles. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a chaotic time. But it, it, from, from my perspective, I don't know about you, but it, it sort of feels like all of these things are going to come together at a time where once it's settled, it's settled, it's clean, and we're going to move forward um, with a much more streamlined sport. And I think that's a good thing. College football fans don't like angst. They really don't. And there is so <laughs> much of it right now. It just feels like every little thing is, is connected to one another. And people just want to see the finish line. They just, they just want to get yep. there. They just want to see what it looks like so that they can know how they should feel about things moving forward. Okay, so actual football things. Georgia repeating. Oh, there, there are football things? <laughs> Apparently. I, I, didn't, I don't know. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, in your neck of the woods there, I, I know that this is a very popular topic of discussion, but the, the path for Georgia to repeat, do you think it exists given the history of the sport, given the way that we've seen just how big of a challenge that can be one repeat champ in the last 16 years? Do you think it's realistic or do you think this is one of the th- one of those things where you're kind of penciling it out now saying, no, you know what? Not going to happen. Think that replacing too much talent on defense just makes that hurdle a bit too much to overcome. I think it's realistic. I don't think it's likely, but it's realistic. You know, the, the roster is what it is. We've seen it. You know, we've seen teams with comparable con- uh, uh, talent levels, Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson consistently replace good players with good players. So it's certainly possible uh, I think Alabama's better. I think Ohio State's better. But, you know, really, the I, the whole thing with Georgia hinges on Stetson Bennett. I don't think he gets enough credit. He was third in the, uh, in the, in the country in yards per attempt last year. That, that's pretty darn impressive considering he eased himself into the quarterback role, what, early October was when they finally settled on him. That, to me, having an offseason, a full offseason is something he's never had. Uh, so I think that will help. And – He's going to have to be better, obviously, because the defense is going to take a step back. But how much of a step back? I mean, Nolan Smith's still there. Jalen Carter's better than Jordan Davis, in my mind. I think NFL scouts are going to look at Jalen Carter and think, oh, he's going to be number one, number two, number three overall, depending on how many quarterbacks are out there. So I think Georgia is going to look a little different. And and that's okay because every team has its own DNA. But it's still going to be an elite football program. They're still going to go to Atlanta in December with a shot at the playoff on the line. If they lose, okay, we'll see, you know, what the landscape is and and judge accordingly. But they certainly have what it takes. And I think it really just hinges on those defensive stars that are younger. How consistent are they? Because we know the top end, when they're at their best, I think they're going to be phenomenal. But when they have their bad days, what are they? And can Stetson pick up the slack on the offensive side? I think he'll, he'll do a pretty good job of that. Like I said, I don't think he gets enough credit. FanDuel has these odds for um, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia to win it all at minus 340, and the field oh. is plus 270, which is just crazy. <laughs> I actually think looking at that, though, I would take minus 340. I just would. I can't see a national champion outside of those three. Am I crazy for thinking that? I would hedge my bets. Like I would definitely wager, I, I would definitely pick those three teams 
at that value and then a future probably but but also like put like five or ten dollars on the other one just in case you know i mean because you're right those three teams i I think it'd be surprising if if it's not one of them clemson could get hot whether it's with klubnik or uyunglele they still have a great defense they still got will shipley um you know i think oklahoma under uh venables okay we'll see um you know levy over there is going to be awesome so i think that helps USC, the path is relatively easy. They've got star power. If they can find an offensive line, okay, maybe. So I would be surprised if it wasn't one of those three, um, but I would probably find a way to hedge my bet on both sides of those because um, just taking the field in any of those situations, like you're asking for a balance one way or the other, and, and that's too good to pass up. We Lake, Clemson taking off. I, I don't really see those words mixing very well. I, I <laughs> Klubnik, though. You can see Kate Klubnik. Yeah, it was, it was like, gun to my head. Is DJ going to be starting the second half of that opener against Georgia Tech? I, I'm going to say yes. I can't guarantee that he's going to finish that game. I, I just... I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now with, with Clemson, all the moving pieces around Dabo Sweeney. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that question is like, you kind of go through it and you're like, well, there's kind of a problem. There's an issue with every single team that you would bring there up is. in the field. That's just kind of the way that it sets up this year for whatever reason. Once upon a time, dark horse contender to win a national championship or maybe at least get there, Auburn. Nobody's going to be saying that going into this year, or at least I don't think so expectations are very, very low in large part because of the quarterback position, in my opinion. I think I've seen some more Auburn fans talking themselves into Zach Calzada. Where do you stand on him and the potential for this team to be able to have one of those surprise seasons in which they can you know, have potentially a New Year's Six Bowl or something like that? Well, all right. I grew up an Auburn fan. I went to Auburn. I worked at Auburn. Uh, all my family and friends are Auburn. And if any of those people are talking themselves into Zach Calzada, I need to throw him out of my life. Like that's just <laughs> not, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, so uh, I think, look, Auburn to me, Harson does get a little unfairly criticized. Yeah. Six and seven is not acceptable. The almost losing to Georgia state is not acceptable. Uh, but four times against Alabama is really impressive considering they didn't have a quarterback at the time, at least a healthy quarterback at the time. They beat Arkansas. They beat Ole Miss. Those are two really good teams. Ole Miss went to the Sugar Bowl. His season was such a roller coaster. It wasn't necessarily all bad. It was actually, there's a lot of positives. In fact, I was watching a highlight today that popped up on Twitter. And when Auburn played Georgia in uh, the middle of October, they were the number 18 team in the country. That's not bad. Uh, It did not work out well, obviously, but you know, it, the quarterback situation is, is important, but um, what is the offensive line going to do? They return a ton, but they've been awful over the last couple of seasons. Is one more offseason going to fix something that we all sort of thought should have been fixed a long time ago? I, I Probably not. If I'm wrong, then they're going to be competitive. But to me, I, I just think that the quarterback situation is a big deal. If it's Zach Calzada, it's not going to go well. And I'll tell you what, if you want to take Robbie Ashford, is going to be the starting quarterback for Auburn more than any other quarterback this year. I think if, if you're going to have an issue blocking and if you have an issue at wide receiver, which they do, you need to have a running quarterback. And Robbie Ashford is the only guy on there that can do it. And he's just so much of an unknown, but it's not like he's a highly, it wasn't a highly touted prospect. The dude's a four-star from Hoover, higher, higher rated than TJ Finley or Zach Calzada coming out of high school. 
And so I think the way the dynamics of that team, you know, sort of shake out, if they play Robbie Ashford, they could be a seven or eight win team. If they don't, I don't think they're, uh, they're going to get to that point. And, and Brian Harson will probably be looking for a job. Yeah, I agree with you on, on the, the unknown of Robbie Ashford. And I, I think I had him predicted to start by Halloween or, or something like that at some point, because I don't think he's going to be the day one starter. But I think at some point they realize they have to turn him. Plus, guy spent two yep. years with Joe Moorhead, so he's fine. He'll figure it out. Yes. OK, that's the most important yep. thing that a quarterback can have on their resume. Can you just kind of help me fill out my SEC East ballot? I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I've been struggling with it the entire offseason. Not not one. We don't need one. We don't need seven. We, we know where that's ending up. Like two through six, just, just give me some sort of guidance. I'm not saying that you have to have this figured out yet, but I, I am just really, really struggling kind of going back and forth with this. And I think no matter who you are, you're probably going to have some sort of discrepancy with the two through six rankings, depending on what team you're a fan of. Well, you're right. And actually, you know what, Connor, I can help you out because you haven't filled out. Look we at did you. our helmet schedule Dang. just to make sure I have everything set up. And so I am, uh, I am well prepared for SEC media days. I've already got it all written out. I've got Georgia. Then I've got Flo- uh, Tennessee and Florida. Ooh. Then South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. I, are, I think where's, right Kentucky? Now, where's Kentucky? Where do I have Kentucky? Sorry. They're three and five. So they would be after South Carolina and Tennessee. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Well on the Cats. Not a Will Levis guy. You don't think Will Levis is going to be number one overall pick? Well, I- no, I think he might play himself into a first round pick, but I, I just, without Wondell Robinson, without any proven, real proven receiver anyway, I just have a hard time sort of buying in. And, you know, they're just going to be a little inconsistent. And look, really two through six in that division, you know, just beat each other up, pillow fight. You know, I can, I can make a case for any of those teams, just the way the schedule sets up for, for Kentucky. You know, I see them, see them dropping one or two that they probably shouldn't. And really, they can't. I don't think they can dictate the style of game like they did last year. Um, you know, defensively, from a front seven perspective, are they as stout as they have been? No, not really. Offensive line wise, they're not necessarily where they've been either. So I just don't see that team being able to dictate the style of every single game. Whereas in the years past, especially when they win 10 games, they have been. And, and I just don't think that team, even with Will Levis, who I think is a really good player, uh, I just don't think they can do that. Yeah. Pascal, Kennard, and, and obviously Wandale. And then, you know, we'll kind of wait and see as of this recording, don't know what the future is for Chris Rodriguez and all that stuff, but there are a lot of changing pieces in Lexington right now, for sure. And then obviously losing Liam Cohen and kind of the, the unknowns of that situation as well. Uh, last one for you. Who or what makes the biggest presence at SEC Media Days? And please don't say that it's my subpar karaoke singing. <laughs> we got to figure out karaoke. Man, I know. Here, the Dark Horse has live band karaoke on Wednesday nights. I okay. think that's the play. Um, but I, we need to do. We need to put some heads together. Chris Gordy, you, me, uh, Carlos Medina. I got to figure out exactly the plan because it does need to happen. Um, I, unfortunately, like this is going to be, and I know our friend Peter Burns put this on Twitter and I was actually thinking the exact same thing. SEC media days, there's going to be so little football talked about. I know because of it. And I hate that. Like what, what is a coach going to say about NIL that he hadn't said before? What is he exactly. going to say about the transfer portal that he hadn't said before? What's he going to say about realignment? They don't have anything to do with that, you know? So, um, unfortunately those three topics are going to, going to be the, the driving force. To me, I'm most interested just in the quarterbacks because yeah. you have Bryce Young and then 
what happens from there? Because you have all these battles, not everywhere. And we just talked about Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't have a battle, but you know, is Anthony Richardson, what's Billy Napier going to say about this dude? He's being projected as a first round pick. You know, what's what's um, Jimbo Fisher going to talk about with his three dudes? What's going to happen at LSU? I mean, Brian Kelly has a very healthy quarterback situation, but two of those guys are probably going to transfer at some point. So, you know, just all of these issues, it's not like, you know, Connor, you, you and I were there when it was like Manziel, Mettenberger, Murray, uh, James Franklin. I wasn't there. Like there was I wasn't there. I was way you, too young for that. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, making me feel old, man. Um, but uh, but like those were the glory days, right? And and we don't have that now. And I think we should. And maybe it's because people aren't recognizing him in Hooker. Maybe it's because people aren't buying into Spencer Rattler. But I mean, again, those two guys need to be talked about. And I don't know if anybody's going to ask about Josh Heupel about Hendon Hooker. I mean, I, I would assume people ask Shane Beamer about Spencer Rattler, but um, just the quarterbacks in general, I think is going to be really interesting. After everybody gets through the NIL, the transfer portal and the realignment stuff, maybe we sneak one question in about actual football. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to sneak the one in about real football. That's going to be my goal. Just <laughs> when, like when in doubt like about it. a question, just default to real football. Even Clark Lee, That's, he's going to get a football question from me. No all of, and you know what? Every single coach would appreciate the hell out of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you could ask him the dumbest, boring football question of all time, and they'll enjoy it. So can we talk about a 3-4 switch? Are you guys still sticking with the 4-3 as your base? Or, you know, you, we, we go in modern. You want to go a little 3-3-5? Three, three, how like, how what multiple you guys are you going to be? <laughs> I mean, how, you can give them the strength and conditioning question. Like, oh. you've really picked it up throughout the course of the – well, yeah, good. It's football. God, yeah. say something else other than NIL stuff. Yeah, are you guys going to do like a Tom Herman piss test? Like, can we, can we get one of those? Like, do you guys have any any thoughts on that, that whole process? Yeah, I think that would be uh, that would be welcome with open arms. Barrett, appreciate the time, man. See you next week. My pleasure, dude. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking neighbors, not the movie, the actual neighbors, real life neighbors that you deal with. Although Neighbors itself, really good movie, mm -hmm. really, really good Seth Rogen movie that in terms of 21st century comedies, I mean, I'm not saying it's like top five, top 10. Neighbors is good. Is it? Is that Judd Apatow or is that just Seth Rogen? I assume that's all this. Yeah, I assume that's shut up. Top. I don't know off the top of my head. They were raking, man. I know we've talked about that like on here before, but there was like a smooth 10 years where everything that Seth Rogen and them were doing was just fire. I just listened to the rewatchables episode on the ringer of Superbad. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Oh, it's man. really, really good. That movie, I don't know how we got to talk. Oh yeah, Neighbors. Yep. Um, but th that whole era, very, very good. The Neighbors that we'll be talking about today, probably a little bit different than that. And I, we have some overlap with this one. All right, <laughs> like I, I just want that on the record. We've talked HOA. I think we've talked about, we've talked about lawn care before. We've talked a, a couple of different things that are probably going to overlap a little bit, but that's okay. I realized I went back and I looked it up to try and make sure that we had never done neighbors specifically. Mm -hmm. So I felt like now would be a good time to do that. Will, what is your general outlook on neighbors as a home, both as a homeowner 
and as somebody who lived in an apartment for how many years out of, like five years out of college? Yeah, yeah. So I was, let's see, I was in an apartment, so from 2013 to 20, yeah, yeah, so about five years. So first things first, man, uh, I always joke about in here, right? Like my experience for Cajuns isn't typical, it's almost like stereotypical. So I lived in the middle of nowhere, bro. I literally had no neighbors growing up. I had, it was all, I grew up on six acres in the middle of a swamp. I was like Shrek, I did not have neighbors. I had one neighbor who was actually pretty cool, met a, made like a friend as a neighbor, and they literally owned a bayou. Have you ever seen a nutri rat, Connor? Oh, what? <laughs> a Nutra rat. So they're like these, imagine beavers with big yellow teeth, basically, and no flat tail. And they had this swamp land that had uh, some Nutra rats in it, and we would go four-wheeling back there. That was my neighborhood experience till I went to college, basically. Uh, and so, yeah, so point being, now I'm a homeowner. I'm trying to figure it out, be a better neighbor, because I never had to do that growing up. And yeah, got really cool neighbors here. I was, one of my neighbors in the apartment was like a producer for like Future, and it was just super cool, but oh. now, yeah, now it's wild, man. But yeah, like now it's a lot of like dads, a lot of like grilling, a lot of grass talk. Uh, you would love my neighborhood, man. Like I said, my my immediate next door neighbor is huge Florida fan, like the coolest Florida fan. I've, ever, I've met lots of cool Florida fans, but he's like the coolest like baseball coach guy who's just he like put me on AR-15 before everybody. Like I love my neighbors, man. I think I think people have very different neighbor experiences. If you grow up like you did, then your impression of neighbors is almost non-existent mm -hmm. and you kind of do what you want you don't have to worry necessarily about noise i think there are people that get to a certain phase in life who don't understand how to be neighbors at all mm -hmm. and, and i'm not necessarily blaming them there are some that just live in their own world and when i lived my i guess it would have been i lived in two different apartments here but in the same complex we just got a bigger place um a little bit after lauren came down here so the second apartment that we lived in we had these neighbors that were got along with really well. They lived right below us. They didn't really hear them that often. The occasional slamming door, nothing in the middle of the night. They had multiple kids living there who were like high school, early college age, and never really got the impression that they were people that we like disagreed with. Never oh, really? any sort of discrepancy. Yeah, so that, that part was great. Then they moved. Oh. <laughs> and it didn't go well. Um, these people, I, I don't know if they had never been neighbors before, but buddy, did they act like it. Mm -hmm. Two in the morning on a Tuesday night, and they're out on their patio just having a grand old time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even think, I don't even think, I don't think it was summer, but it was loud. I mean, really, really loud. Windows closed, everything closed, and we could still hear everything they're saying. And it's in their the only thing I'll say in their defense is that where we used to live, it backed up to like the apartment pond, and so noise would kind of echo off of that. Mm -hmm. And you would hear that sometimes, and you'd think, all right, maybe am I overthinking this? And they'd be like, no, you know what? No, I'm not at all. It's two in the morning on a Tuesday. So right. one time, Lauren goes down there, and in the middle of the night, cause you have to like walk outside, you would like walk outside to walk down there and they can't see like where, like where the stairs go down from basically like their little screened in back porch there. So Lauren like walks down there and comes around the corner at two in the morning. He's like, Hey, like we're trying to sleep. <laughs> like we can hear everything you're saying. And it was, 
like the most obvious thing in the world, and it's kind of amazing that nobody had ever said anything, but we were those people because it was ridiculous. Right. I mean, if people are outside talking, like having a light conversation, that's one thing. But these people were over the top. Acknowledge my existence. Right. That's the mentality I have when I'm at the grocery store. That's the mentality <laughs> I want to have as a neighbor in general. So Lauren, I remember after that was her adrenaline was like through the roof and she couldn't go to sleep, ironically enough, for like an hour and a half after that. <laughs> so it was a very rough night of sleep overall. But we're like, why do we get too? in the morning because of these people it's like you sometimes don't realize how good a neighbor is until the bad neighbor comes in so i think we need to give some good neighbors some shine today because I, for the most part neighbors neighbors are like turbulence on a flight okay right you always acknowledge the bad and you kind of remember the bad <laughs> yep. and it kind of sucks in the moment and you never really think about the good or what kind of makes that experience pleasant sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's a really weird comp, but I have a neighbor now who, I think he's the perfect neighbor. I, the the most perfect neighbor in the world. He is a guy who, a guy named Jerry, lives down the street um, and he has lived here since our development started like 30, 30 some odd years ago, something like that. So Jerry, when we were trying to edge our front yard, which we have like a lot of space because we live we live on a corner lot, and so it's it's difficult to edge sometimes, and it just it can just it was a, it was a handful. I didn't really know kind of what we were getting ourselves into. So one time, Jerry, you know, he's out walking his dog all the time. He's like a guy probably in like early to mid seventies, something like that. And he's like, "Hey, I got a better edger than the one that you use. Let me bring him by. I'll do it for you." Guy in his 70s comes out here and is like sweating his face off. Just like, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And he does it. And no questions asked, just the nice neighborly thing. Never expected anything in return. We went and brought over he and his wife chocolate chip cookies and whatnot because we were so grateful and he saved us. Yeah, so like, sweet. So just that whole, whenever the whole thing's so wholesome. Yeah, and then you know what? Like, that's what it feels like. And he's, He's a guy who, um, he, he gets like bears on his property, uh, which is crazy, like actual real bears. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, sometimes we'll make small talk, talk a little bit about that. Um, but just a, a good dude who's not gonna make a lot of noise. He and his wife are very quiet to themselves people, very friendly, always like, you know, like if make eye contact, stop and wave, not to the point where you're having that awkward conversation. You know that neighbor, right? right? Who just wants to have the stop and chat yep. and you're just like, we're going I got somewhere to be I, I can't dude I, can't. I was taking Walter to the vet the other day like pretty pretty emergency situation I had like I have that neighbor super sweet dude just loves like having random conversations and I was like dude I gotta go man I love you but like my cat is so sick bro I was like holding Walter's big ass you know Walter he's like big and I was like I was like struggling holding Walter I was like please bro Let, recognize this in this moment <laughs> right. neighbor I don't I can't have this conversation with you right now we can have, we can have another time but there are just very different perspectives of, of neighbors and that's what I've, I've come to realize and, and neighbors can be something different for you in a different phase of life when I was growing up we had we lived on a cul-de-sac very different from you growing up in the bayou mm -hmm. where you had essentially one neighbor we had a cul-de-sac and we had something that backed up to our house and <laughs> she was neighborhood watch essentially mm -hmm. if my parents were out of town or something like that she was the one who was looking out doing dishes and she could tell you exactly who came over to our house and when mm -hmm. we my brother and i like even if we tried it would have been a stupid idea to try like there, there were probably a couple instances that i'm forgetting in which she you know 
be like, oh, hey, so you had blah, 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 blah. And it's not that, I don't even think that she would like tell my parents, but you knew, if you were trying to pull something, she knew. Mm-hmm. And she and they were actually, ironically enough, like other than that, very nice, cordial neighbor, still a relationship with, uh, with, uh, with her husband, who's a really good dude, and their kids are awesome. But she, for like a teenage kid, is probably the worst kind of neighbor to have. And... I, I've kind of just come to realize the varying degrees of like what I want in a neighbor. So mm-hmm. we're gonna dig into all the different perspectives here. I'll, we got a lot of negativity in the Facebook group, a lot of negativity, negativity here, that's okay. All right, so I asked the questions, um, do you generally like or dislike your neighbors? What's the best type of neighbor? Legitimately hanging out with neighbors, ya or nah? And neighborhood horror stories, of course. I already shared mine. All right, let's go to this one from, let's start with this one from Chris Zahor. Chris says, having mostly lived in apartments, I generally don't like my neighbors and tend to form my judgment based on how annoyingly they stomp around above me or how loud they play music at three in the morning. Yep. Mm-hmm. We just moved into a house in downtown Richmond and our neighbors are really nice, but I don't see us hanging out much. At our last place, the people above us decided to move out between like 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. one evening. And it was awesome. That's that's an elite neighbor as well. The um, They're really nice, but you don't see you, you don't hang out with them. Right. No pressure. Yeah. None. Sometimes. I worry that if we, we we start hanging out with neighbors or people down the street, almost like dating a coworker, that's that's weird. That's not quite the same thing. But I worry about like, ah, you know, what if you guys just like, they don't really see eye to eye. It's kind of like keep them at an arm's length a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause there are people in our neighborhood, which I could definitely see us hanging out with them, even though we're on the younger side, probably for, for our age, it's, it's a little bit more of like, you know, some, some younger families, but mostly like kind of middle-aged to older type people. But, um, yeah, you just never know with an apartment. I wish, I wish you had Zillow for neighbors when you move into an apartment or to a house or something like, <laughs> like that. Like rate my professor. So Did you guys ever rate my professor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge. My, my cousin's all about rate my professor. Like mm-hmm. she is, she is super, super into, she's a college professor and she's like, they have one bad review and it can just kind of ruin everything. Mm-hmm. They should have, they probably have something like that for neighbors. They have to. Mm-hmm. I would, I wouldn't say that I'm a perfect neighbor. Yeah, what's your vibe as a neighbor? Like, do you like what's your brand? I guess neighborly wise. I like. I am the person who, if I make eye contact with you, I'm gonna wave. I'm gonna give you a friendly wave, bare minimum head nod. Right. Always, guaranteed. Even when we went to when we went to Zion, we were in Utah last week. So I was talking about, um, you know, this is one of those things that like I don't know why my brain is just always kind of programmed. We walk like somebody's walking past us. I'm the person that's like morning 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 every single time top of the i don't care if they have their the head morning. down not top of the morning <laughs> not a kinder fan wow <laughs> i'm gonna run into like an actual irish person like an authentic like oh yeah I'm, I'm here from dublin uh visiting the states and i'm gonna run into somebody and say that and they're just gonna be like <laughs> what are you talking about man mm-hmm. no but i i am that person so I'm not going to engage necessarily in full conversation. I'll I'll let them, if they they really want to press me on something, I have have a neighbor down the street who's all into, he's very much invested into my my yard Mm -hmm. and my my lawn maintenance and all that because he's been giving me some pointers and stuff. He's about the only person that I really have like, 
you know, two minute conversations with other than Jerry, the perfect neighbor who we get along with really, really well. But yeah, um, no, I think I'm, I'm good, not great. I'll, I'll admit I have, I have flaws, I have holes in my game. Sometimes, you know, like if we're out of town and if our lawn gets way too long and it's like, it's been 10 days during the rainy season and you could see our house in the corner and our lawn is like way too long and it gets really thick because I like to let it grow out a little bit. Then I'm not being an elite neighbor maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's just, that's just kind of me. Well, I thought you were going to have a response to that. No, so, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think you can let your grass grow. Listen, a little bit of Pat Fitzgerald in you. That's okay. You got to keep that grass long. Got to, you know, keep keep the friction going on the grass. No, but no, I think, so I've told you this before, but I think whenever we moved in, everybody thought we were drug dealers. Because like you said, we were way younger than everybody. And people were like, ah, that's right. people were like what do you do? And I was like, I make memes. And they were like, that doesn't make any sense. You don't do that. Gosh. But yeah, everybody, like everybody people... likes us. We're just, we're just quiet. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, be be quiet. Uh, above all else, don't be the people that are that are blasting music or, or something like that. Occasionally, if we're in our yard at like dinner time or something like that, we've got maybe back door open and we're playing some music or something. If you're not a fan of country music, or if it's like you know random. Random, I don't know, Thursday at four o'clock, and I'm in the backyard working out, and I've got, I've got the, I've got the music going or something like that, and I maybe don't have my headphones in for whatever reason. Sometimes I like playing, just being able to hear it myself. So I'm not going to say I'm the perfect neighbor, but I, I strive to be at least a good neighbor, and I acknowledge others' existence. Mm -hmm. Let's go to this one from. Oh, Derek Walden's got a good one. Derek says, the only neighbors I know are my parents. I've never hung out with any of my neighbors, but I have some good horror stories. Back when I was about 14 or 15, we had some folks move in from a different state just up the road. I live in a rural town. We ride four wheelers on dirt roads and have a good time. The neighbors weren't a fan of me and some, and some friends riding our wheelers down the dirt road, so they would call the cops constantly. We weren't doing anything illegal, and we knew the sheriff, small town. Mm -hmm. They would come out because they had to, uh, tell us to, to let them get out of sight and we could keep riding. The neighbors got mad one time and sprayed me with a water hose as I was going by. Assault. Then they <laughs> Man, that's aggressive. Then they pulled their car out in front of me. Then another car behind me blocked me in and wouldn't let me go anywhere and called the cops. Uh, as a dumb 14 or 15 year old, I started spinning donuts and hitting their cars with gravel. The sheriff came out. They told him to arrest me. He said, okay, Okay, but if I put them in the car, you're going to, you're blocking a county road, which is against the law. So I'm either taking both of you or they're either of you, your choice. They changed their tune and we continued riding. That's like Greg Sankey dealing with the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban spat. <laughs> either one of you is in trouble. I like, it's not just going to be one of you is in trouble. You're both in trouble here. I'm, I'm going to recommend both of you right now. Yeah, that I mean, kind of sucks. There, it seems like <laughs> really calling the cops, right? Like, I just thought about this. Like, I want to talk to some police officers about what percentage of their calls are people who just call the cops all the time. Because I feel like yes. like a small percentage of people account for way more of the call. It's like you're, he's gonna come out there and do what? You know exactly what you say. It's like, bro, like you want to send this kid to jail for like a dumb little like, okay, bro, like you're gonna ruin this kid's life. Like that's how you think this is gonna play out, okay, bro. Have you ever had the cops called on you by somebody else, or have you called the cops on somebody else? Uh, come on, bro. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. Right, how about this? How about this? How about this? In, in a neighbor, in a neighbor, in a neighbor situation, not necessarily like an out and about situation where you're out in the real world. Yeah. Well, I only had it called from my, in my neighborhood once. I was like throwing a party for graduation, um, but that that was just like a one time oh, thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've heard that story. Mm -hmm. We don't need to go into details <laughs> of that one. All right. 
right, let's go to uh, Justin Lonezak. Justin says, I have two neighbors, both older. I have no problems with either one. I barely see the left and the right neighbor uh, sits outside in the sun. We say hey and small talk, but that's about it. That's ideal. That, that's ideal. There is no rule that says you have to be able to recognize your neighbors in a group of people. Mm-hmm. I, there's, there's degrees of kindness that you can be, but it's almost worse sometimes when you have the overly nice neighbor because then you feel indebted to that. Yes, I don't, that's a good I don't point. really want that. I don't want that. Jerry wants to come edge, do some edging because I'm having issues and I'm a first time home buyer, like a homeowner, that's one thing. We'll make him some chocolate chip cookies, that'll be that and we'll be able to move on, we'll be able to kind of talk about other things. But outside of that, I don't want a neighbor that's constantly doing favors for me. No, because mm-hmm. most of the things I feel like I can take care of myself. Now, it's one thing if you have somebody who's just like, just a nice person, just, wants to be able to to have a positive impact, a friendly wave, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There's one neighbor that lives across the street from me. I've talked to him probably three different times and each time I've talked to him, it's been about 20 minute conversations, like 20 to 30 minute conversations. Every other time, it's been a very friendly wave, that's it. (laughs) Don't need anything more than that. And both of us, obviously, we're in a position where neither of us were in a hurry or whatever, and we're talking about like branches down in the neighborhood. I don't know, some crap like that. We talk, I think we talked about baseball, (laughs) I don't know. Those are the situations where you appreciate that. The mundane, nondescript, unrecognizable neighbor, sometimes the best, sometimes the absolute best. If you have angst about not necessarily knowing your neighbors, or you feel like you have to, I don't, I don't think you need to. I just don't. Love that neighbor, I get it. Be kind, spread love, make a positive impact. Don't go over the top. It's, it's like a new relationship, right? It's like, if you're a like, leave me alone person, they gotta pick up the you're leave me alone person, that's not a bad thing. But it's whatever, it's like pace, right? It's like a football game. It's like, if one person's moving at this pace and they're Josh Heupel and they're like in your face and like, boom, boom, yes. boom, we gotta be right here, we gotta go fast. It's like, hey bro, look, I'm a little bit less miles today. I'm not trying to sit here, talk to you all day, I got, I got stuff to do, I'm good. So it's like, you gotta feel stuff out and see what works for people. Because like you said, sometimes being too nice is like the worst thing you can do because then people are like, oh, this guy's overbearing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not the person that's gonna show up on your doorstep the second you move in with a casserole ready. I'm not gonna be that guy. Yeah. I'm just not. If if you if you're in need of a casserole and if you are in some sort of situation you thought where you're thought about this, actually. Maybe a little bit. If you're in some sort of situation where you know what, like you're struggling, you're going through something like that, like my 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 in-laws, man, they are they're unbelievable people. They they live on a five-acre farm, as I've said, in Indianapolis, and they will make their na- their neighbor food every single night. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They like giving. It's a person who doesn't necessarily have the means to be able to kind of take care of themselves. So they want to help in any way possible. If somebody's in a situation like that, a little bit different. And even me, like I, I would still be kind of on the fence because it's like, all right, well, you know, like you got, you got family members as well, hopefully, or, you know, it just kind of depends. I had a downstore neighbor one time who um, at, at the first place that I lived in, in, in Orlando, and he was just a guy who like, I met his wife early on and his wife was the sweetest woman. And I think she, 
I think she had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. I never really got like the full the full scoop. And she she like she died while I was at the time like while I was living there. And I knew that he you know was in like his early seventies. Didn't really take care of himself that well. It was like going through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like was going through a lot of stuff. And one time I remember like he asked me to borrow a significant amount of money, and I was like. That's a tough spot. I hope to never be in that spot where I have to ask somebody, but having observed kind of what he was going through, I think I ended up compromising and giving him some, but not being like, yeah, I'm just gonna bend over backwards for right. you. But being in those situations sometimes, it's just like, that's, that in itself can be kind of a strain of, of having to deal with that. So yeah, I, I try and keep my distance a little bit, but if you're somebody that's in need, you know, that's a little bit of a different story. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's end with this one, Hunter Raglan. Hunter says, absolute horror story, getting ready for work one morning and I hear someone banging on our back door. Turns out my neighbor to the side has two larger dogs that got out and the neighbor to the back has a smaller dog that got out. Long story short, they met in my backyard and the two larger dogs attacked the small one, literally ripping it in half, killing it. Why do we have so many people who tell stories in this group about dogs being dismembered? I don't I don't know why this is a constant theme in our podcast group. I don't get that. Uh, I don't get that. Maybe maybe that's because I I don't really have that perspective as somebody who didn't necessarily, I, I grew up with a golden retriever, all right? So I wasn't necessarily the person in this spot. Right. But that's, that's a really unfortunate spot, obviously, to be in where you know you constantly have to keep an eye out on that. That, that's always gotta be on your radar. What's going on with those two dogs? Right. You, you don't wanna police them, but at the same time, you have a, a duty to try and protect exactly you know, what's, what's yours. And oh man, especially for the smaller dog going through that, the horror experience of that in itself, that really, really is brutal. I never, you should never have to police your neighbor's dogs. Yeah, well, no, but every neighborhood, bro, and, and you know this, every neighborhood has that dog that you're like, if that dog is loose, I'm cooked. Like, we have two of yeah. them in our neighborhood that I'm just like, if I ever see that dog run toward me, I'm winding up like a kick or something because this dog is going to try to kill me. Like, there's two, that's like, there's one that's like, it's always, our, our, uh, if you guys aren't on Nextdoor, please get on Nextdoor. It's the funniest social Fantastic. media app. Yes. It's helpful and hilarious. It's like Twitter, but better, uh, but for older white people. It's like, <laughs> like it's there's this one dog that is like chained up kind of like in the woods and people just kind of like go by and feed it and the owner is like yeah like it's our dog you can't touch it people just like feed it kind of like keep it but it's like a mean dog because it's been like obviously through a lot and i'm just like yeah if i see this dog like out it's gonna be a tough scene because it's gonna get out mess up another dog mess up a kid that's what you start worrying about is people walking around you know, with their kids and everything and there are these dogs that like every owner swears their dog is like not a problem until that dog does something and yeah. it's like oh no no. <laughs> yeah, or you know, I think we we talked about this before with dogs. Like my brother lives in a neighborhood where they have a dog that just constantly escapes. Yeah, <laughs> and it's frustrating. And you know, just don't be that person. Right, don't be that person. It's so brutal. Uh, I think we I think we just about covered it there. A lot of good responses there. Thank you to everybody who submitted responses and started on South Podcast Facebook group. Will, let's close with Lad of the Week. Yes, Lad of the Week is going to be Kenny Lofton Jr. Did you see this, Cotter? No. Okay. So being out of town, I, I, I deferred to you on this one. I was pretty much off social media the entire week. Awesome. So, you know, we don't have a lot of crossover between the NBA and college football. I know that. So let me just say this because I like to be nice. I'm trying to be not a nicer person. How would you describe Chet Holmgren to a person who has never seen Chet Holmgren? Just a bag of bones on a basketball court. <laughs> 
He's, yes, he's a smooth like 7'1", probably about half of my weight, very skinny white dude. Probably gonna be very good in the NBA, just very skinny white dude. And the whole problem with him, or the whole like like knock on him is that he's too skinny and you can move him, right? And everybody, all the stat heads are like, oh, well, you know, there really aren't too many post players in today's game. There really aren't too many guys that are heavy that'll really make that a problem. Well, let me tell you what he ran into in his first NBA game. Kenny Lofton Jr., the lad of the week. Now, Kenny Lofton Jr., and I'll, I'll go ahead and put a picture of him up, but he is built like me at my heaviest, but 6'6". This lad is probably walking around the smooth 360, if not a little bit more, just based on human, he's a belly, he's swole. What? He played at La Tech. Okay, so I can tell you one thing about Kenny Lofton. This boy can eat, and he is a lad. And let me tell you, he had Chet Holmgren in hell, buddy. He was banging that ball on the ground, bumping his, his voluptuous rump all over Chet Holmgren. He had no answer for this boy. And he's, you know, four-year college player or whatever. He's like, he's like been a college guy, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's apparently a little bit younger than I thought, but he went, like, undrafted. Like, he's a, he's a grit and grind type of guy. He was going to make his presence felt that night. And you could tell, you know, kind of leading up to the game, it was like, okay. This guy Chet, you know, he's a number two overall pick. There's me. I'm like undrafted or whatever, buddy. He had the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. This was his lad Super Bowl, and he was. I'm telling you, if you guys like big man touchdowns, if you guys like idiot, we talk about this, like like you know how we can get offensive line. This was like an offensive lineman, like fighting a mantis. <laughs> it was the most unfair thing I've ever seen. He also, the best bucket he had, the most disrespectful, wasn't even a post play, although he did many of those. He drained the three inch out of his face. <laughs> he did like a step back. I'm telling you, this guy might have six inches of difference between him and Chet Holger. Uh, Hezzy, ooh, over the head. I was like, unreal. I, I was sitting there and I was like, this guy's a king. I want, I want to like, I want to sign him to a deal to do something. I don't know what it is, but like, I want him to be famous and not have a regular job. So, Kenny Lofton Jr., no relation to baseball player Kenny Lofton, in the case you're wrong. Oh, you buried the lead on that one. No I relation. Come on now. Oh, okay. The entire time, <laughs> process what you said. The entire time, I'm just trying to think to myself, how in the world did Kenny Lofton Sr., I guess, well, just Kenny Lofton, how, did, how in the world would he have produced a 360-pound guy? Yes. No. I mean, he had to have been named after Kenny Lofton, the outfielder. Yeah. There's no had way. To be. He, yeah. That, there's, if your last name was Lofton and you name your kid Kenny, and you, this this kid, I'm guessing, would have been born in the 2000s, right? Oh, like yeah. Late 90s or yeah, something? Yeah, like, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like early 2000s. Gosh, we're old. Yeah, like. Okay. Early 2000s really sport, yeah. Really old. Okay. That put me, that put my brain in a pretzel. Thank you, Will, for that. Lad of the week. Yes. All right. Schedule. Moving forward, we have SEC Media Days is next week. We're going to have multiple pods out. TBD on when those are. We've got a lot of great, great interviews lined up. I am so, so excited mm -hmm. about the schedule that we have moving forward. It's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of Saturday Down South coverage from SEC Media Days. I will be there. Marler will be there as well. We're going to have the social team all over it. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of coverage coming from the festivities in Atlanta. If you have not, please give us a five-star review. Go join the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. Give us, uh, give us, give us a follow on Twitter as well at the SDS Pod. I know I never say that, but you should definitely do that. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.